Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're watching The Dorkening. Stay tuned. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoxopus Cephala Podcast. That's the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. As always, we are part of the Dorkening and Inebriard Podcast Networks, and we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I'm going to drink some coffee right now. That was actual Foley. It was done live, and uh, it was coffee. For all you know, it was Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for, but I won't be dying. I won't be dying just yet, because tonight, with me, I have Nintendo. Oh, hi there. And Nintendo will, I assume, perform CPR, or at least at least call somebody if I seem close to death. He will... Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I'll call, not, for, I'll call 411 and ask for sure. assistance. Be like, oh, well, what's number 4911? Uh, and we'll just go from there. You know, you know what, buddy? Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'm here for that. I got you. Really great. So tonight, uh, we we are doing an episode of the Brig, and tonight in the Brig, we have the poor soul who stumbled his drunken ass down those stairs. He tripped, almost stepping on the last stair, which, as we all know, is the is the stair that's made out of spikes that we pee on. So luckily, he missed that. He's a he's an award-winning author of over 20 books. This guy has done it all. He's seen it all. He's battled Godzilla's. And I don't mean one, I mean like multiple Godzilla's, like the show the like the Showa Godzilla. And then like and then he like went right to the Millennium Godzilla. He just he he like fought them both at the same time. It was it was unbelievable, you guys. There's he's probably gonna use that in a book at some point. Um Chris Philbrook, how's it going, my man? Well, I'm locked up in this dungeon. Uh, I feel like I was misled. I found cake, and then I wandered down a stairwell, and I reached for something to pick up the cake, and then I slipped, I think, in KY Jelly. And oh, now, yeah. now I'm in a room. It's a cage, yes. and there's all these really weird things hanging on the wall outside the cage, and I, I, I can't tell if they're for torture or for sex. Either way, tonight's going to be tough. Well, the, the funny thing is those things are actually uh, parts of our previous guests that we fashion into uh, decorations. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's actually, mm -hmm. it's actually worse than it, uh, than you, you assume it is. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I am clenching. Uh, okay. Well, you know, the KY is there for a reason. That's all I'm saying, buddy. So, uh, you know, just relax, just relax. Everything's going to be okay. You're very generous. Um, but I appreciate you coming down. You're just a prolific 
you're a pr- prolific mofo. I mean, so you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this from your website. These are your words, not mine. I apologize. So you're the uh, creator and author of Adrian's Undead Diary, which is a series of now thirteen books. Correct. 13. I did that. That's very impressive. The Reemergence series, The Darkness of Diggory Finch, Colony Lost, which is I think only one book, right? But I happen to have read that. That Correct. Was, that was Correct. my first book I read of yours. That was a sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, and the fantasy world of Elmorin, mm-hmm. which has dragons. No. No. No dragons. The reemergence no. has dragons. Elmorin has like medieval night zombie things. Ah, medieval night zombie things. Totally different than dragons. Damn it. Should have done more research. Sorry. You've been um, drinking. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're here to talk about all of it, man. Quote unquote so, coffee. Yeah, quote unquote deadly grounds coffee, mm-hmm. which is coffee to die for. It sounds uh, good. They're just they're just getting extra, and and you know I'm happy for them. Uh, I'm really happy. But yeah, so okay, so let's talk about your newest book. Is the the most recent Adrian's Undead Diary book? It's called Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm amazed first of all that you have a series like. You have numerous series with plenty of volumes, but like 13, this is your biggest series, right? Oh yeah. By far and away. By far. So you started writing this back in 2014? 10. 10 was um, when I started to write uh, the actual, like the beginning of the story, but the books didn't transition to a published state until several years later. So probably, you know, 2012, 2013, something like that. Nice. Um, and it really kind of hit full swing right around 2014, like you said. Nice. So these, the thing that I didn't know, I've never read any of the Adrian books, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the thing I, I'm, I'm learning online, some research has been done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, these aren't your typical novel format books, right? These are, these are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that? Th- these are we have diary entries, we have short stories. How did you come to this decision that you were going to do something a little left of center on this series? Uh, Well, like you said, there were uh, a lot of nights of pretty heavy drinking involved. And um, yeah, I think I stumbled down the steps drunk. Um, Basically, you know, a buddy of mine, one of my best friends uh, had been daring me to write books ever since we were kids. Cause I was the, uh, yeah, we, we did a lot of like role playing games and Dungeons you were and Dragons the talented and stuff. One. Yes. Um, well, yeah, the creative one, I would say. Oh, I think sure. I think one of our other friends is arguably more talented than me, but whatever. Um, and he had been, you know, basically daring me to write a novel. And I was moonlighting, doing game development and some fiction writing and game development for a few years. Got out of that, but I still wanted to write, and I said yeah i wound up getting a new job where i had some downtime um basically just had to be there in case something happened and i said you know what i need to fill this time why don't i write that book for my buddy and um i knew i wanted to write a zombie apocalypse book because i've always loved the the genre you know going back to like 1985 (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and uh i thought to myself boy it would be really funny if i wrote it as like a diary and i just chronicled you know quote unquote my life as a survivor 
and just started writing and um, was sending it to him. And then we started posting it online to a, a blog that he helped me build. And uh, we were probably like, you know, probably 15 or so journal entries. in. we, we had a pretty good following, um, you know, a couple hundred people reading a day. Wow. And I said, you know, there's all these cool stories about people that intersect with Adrian that he doesn't get closure on. You know, like, you know, he goes to the the gun store to try and get ammunition for his his gun and bumps into, you know, a really nice clerk who like does him a solid. And then they're like, all right, man, good luck. And Adrian pieces out to, you know, try and, you know, go save his friends and find a safe place. And he never finds out what happens to the clerk. And people were like, dude, what happened to the clerk? And, you know, I don't know, like he, his purpose was, you know, he, 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 uh, now I'm interested. What did happen to the clerk? So I said, well, what if I wrote short stories that, you know, pulled the, uh, the curtain back and you got to see things outside of the diary's point of view uh, to kind of flesh out uh, the rest of the world. So you, you as the reader get those elements of closure or you get elements of foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. So I just started writing short stories to just sort of insert along the way, uh, you know, in timely places to build tension or, or, you know, give people, um, you know, satisfaction on things. And that's just kind of the format that kind of spilled out. And uh, it's, it's a weird way to write. And, and I think you kind of have to invest And some people, they get pulled out of the story by the short stories. They just want the journal. Uh, and that's fine. Cause you can read just the journal and it's still a coherent story. <clears throat> um, but it makes way more sense and is far more satisfying if um, you know you you get invested in the short stories as well. And they're all part of the novel, so it'll be three or four entries, and then a short story, and then five or six entries, and then a short story. So you just read them in in the order that they're in the book, and everything comes together. Very interesting. That was actually going to be my next question: is uh, are the short stories like grouped at the end or something? But no, they're actually interspersed throughout. Yeah. Yeah. It's trippy. It's a, I don't know anybody who's done anything else in the same format. I haven't seen anyone. No one had done it before me that I was able to find. And since then, I haven't heard of anyone having done it in the way that I did it. So I, I think in that way, I'm, I'm pretty unique. Yeah, definitely. I, I have never read a book like this. I've never heard of a book like this. It's uh, I, I honestly didn't realize this is how they were until just, you know, preparing for this episode. Um, I was aware of the series, but um, that is really, really cool. I, I am really interested in these uh, in this. The, I, I definitely got to read an Adrian book. So uh, <laughs> now that there are 13, yep. uh, you know, something like that is is can be daunting for people for sure and um obviously your writing is probably you know come so far since 2010 or 2013 or whatever i certainly Where, hope what's, so what's what yeah what's your uh recommended start point for adrian do you just say start at the beginning no matter what so i mean yeah um yeah. in order for you to get the full context of it starting at book one uh, which is dark recollections, you know, everything would then come together for you as you move on. But the original series was just eight books. And at the uh, end, just eight books, <laughs> a mere, <eight laughs> yes, books. mailing it in. Uh, and at the end of book eight, it says the end. And I meant it when I wrote it. And it's the end. You do not have to read further. It is a complete arc and everyone's happy and you have closure on 99% of stuff. But, you know, there's enough 
left open at the end of eight that, you know, people's imagination could be like, oh, well, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? Whatever. And I don't know, it was like four or five years later, um, I had so many people asking those questions that, you know, I, I had gotten the series out of my system and I'd written some of the other books and was ready to circle back around with like what happened after the first eight. And I call the second section of the series um, Adrian's March because he's more on the move than he was in the first series. And book nine is part one of Adrian's March. So if someone just wanted to read the new stuff, you could start at book nine um, and it would be a coherent series starting at book nine. Uh, and, you know, that's an option too. And you wouldn't, I mean, obviously you would miss out on a lot of what happened in the first eight books, but, you know, nine and beyond would still be an entertaining cake. And plus, you know, we want you to get paid. That's the other thing. So truth, you know, it's, it's just a <laughs> truth. silly question. You got to start at number one, obviously. Right. Yes. But, twice. Uh, you should do it twice. Twice. Yeah. I mean, well, you buy, you buy one to rock, one to, one to stock. I mean, that's, exactly. That's what everybody does. Exactly. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. Um, so, so it's interesting. Uh, the thought of, you know, something that's gone on so long for you, gone on so long for these characters. Uh, how much planning do you do at this point? You know, maybe it was different back in the early days. Obviously, you couldn't possibly have known where you're going to end up. But at this point, with so many books under your belt, just even in just this one series, you know, are you do you find that you have, you know, an absolute and do you have how's your trajectory how how firm is your trajectory do you feel like you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants every time or are you like no no no, no. these are the things i gotta do most of the time i uh i can't find my my elbow or my asshole with a flashlight um and i'm just sort of I like bumbling pants <laughs> well yeah that too uh i i i loosely outline um, I know, you know, a beginning, I know many of the spots in the middle that I, you know, scenes and places and locations and stuff that I know that I want the story to kind of wander through. And I usually have a rough ending. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that being said, when I actually sit down to write and I start following my outline, stuff changes, you know, um, parts that I, I thought were going to be great aren't. And I, I have to change them. And sometimes stuff that I think is going to be, you know, momentary couple chapters wind up turning into six or seven chapters and I lose, um, you know, the pacing and whatnot. And, you know, the, the new books were only intended to be like three, maybe four. Um, and I'm now on five and I probably have two more. Um, so, I, I mean, I know, I know what my ending theoretically is going to be, and I am building towards that ending, but I don't know exactly how long it'll take to get there. I think two more books. Wow. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of books. I, I you know, as an author, I'm always uh, impressed by people who are able to um, write these massively long series. And it's, it's just very, it's very unfathomable to me the thought mm. of having a first eight and then <laughs> a back right maybe the, eight or nine. Or the funny thing is, is I think the same way about people who can write a coherent novel and just be done with it. Um, because that's not how my storytelling skills or style plays out. So, like, you know, like for you, Bone Eater. You're like, okay, cool. He 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 did like a whole novel, and the whole story is contained, and you don't have mm -hmm. to 
explain five more books worth of stuff. I don't know how he did that. Um, or like, you know, it, it's just really, it, it, it amazes me that people can be so succinct. <laughs> And I'm just this like rambling hot mess that at least is entertaining. Well, you know, I think, I think it's the the two types of storytelling really at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's like, are you, um, and I, this, this, I was thinking about this a lot with, um, with, uh, the She-Hulk show that was just out. And, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of it. And, uh, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of detractors, um, people who weren't super happy with it, obviously pretty vocal. Uh, but one of the things that annoyed me outside of like the obvious, like sexist remarks or were like, th- there was, there was no point to the show. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, no, there, there doesn't need to be a point to everything. If, if you're episodic or if you're, you know, if, if you have a, a serialized arc, that you're telling one giant story or are you telling small stories? And I think that we're so used to now, like so many popular shows, uh, you know, lost, I think was maybe one of the earlier ones that the episodic nature just went out the window. There's, there's no one or, I mean, for, did you watch lost? Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of like an episode that you loved? It's like I not just, really. <laughs> I just remember like the thing as it's one thing, right? Yeah, and I think at the end of that there was still no point. So it's like, well, well that yeah. had no point. But that was the endless. This is serialized. This is one long story with no end, right. um, sort of a thing. And I, and I think it it unlike other things that tell very long form storytelling and this you know over the course of many seasons tended to it didn't plan enough <clears throat> kind of like the new star Wars movies it didn't plan enough. You know? <laughs> it could, you know, there's, there's some good stuff in there, but like, you know, you had to have like, see, see I go back. My, my personal favorite is when there are, it's kind of what she Hulk did actually is, is when there are very specific episodes that you'd be like, Oh, that one, I like that one, that one episode, but the, then characters and small things will move forward as you go um i think buffy really did that really well That's yeah like buffy was great favorite uh shows ever but like it like every season had like such identity with that show M- mm-hmm. more so than a lot of shows that i can think of and yet there are plenty of standalone episodes that come to mind like people will say you know top 10 favorite buffy episodes and you know you're always going to have the the couple the hush and the Right. What's more with feelings on there, but there's people are going to have their own, like, you know, they're, they remember their own top 10, you know, for, for episodes. Right. So it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's interesting. That's, I guess I don't, I don't even have a point. There's just two types of storytelling. I don't think either one is right or wrong. They're just different ways of telling a story. You can have small stories that link on forever, or you could just have one story where all the middle parts have no end, you know, it's like they're all, you know, essentially all of it is, uh, it, it can also you bring up the Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, the two mm-hmm. towers, I mean, of course it was written as one book, everybody knows, 
So the publishers chopped it up and they're like, oh, no, now, now there's three books. And it's like, uh, the middle book doesn't have a beginning or an end. Right. And they're like, no, that's fine. And, and the middle book is, is my least favorite because like it, at least the, at least the uh, return of the King, it has an end. Right. You know, and, uh, and I, I don't know, I just love the beginning of the first book so much that it's always going to be my favorite, but like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like there is something to be said for that, but it works as one thing really well. Right. Like you yeah. absolutely can. If you just look at the Lord of the Rings as Tolkien wrote it, and it's just one thing, but that could be the, se- the whole season of a show or mm-hmm. three seasons of a show or something like that. But if you look at it as a whole, um, anyway, I just think it's different, very valid ways of telling a long form story. Agreed. I mean, I mean, look at, look at something like, Seinfeld or not even doesn't have to be Seinfeld. Seinfeld's famous for not having a point. Any, you know, pick any sitcom. You know, there, there's there's right. no point, but the episodes each had their small points. Right. You well, know, I think like with sitcoms, yeah. with sitcoms they focus more on character development than plot, right? So you mm-hmm. get to see characters change over the course of their random bullshit, you know, sort of happenstance um things you know activities and the idea is like you know look at like friends whatever like you get to see all their relationships gel and then fall apart and all their drama and you get to see them change over the course of you know season after season but again like there's no start middle or end it it just kind of like happens and it just sort of you know nebulously moves along and as long as it's entertaining it's entertaining right Right. yeah i guess i guess my point is that i don't think that you can say that that is any less valid, you know, as, as no, you, know, no. you can have a preference, but um, well, it's hard to write a lot and say nothing. It really is. <laughs> I've mastered it. <laughs> I was going to say years. Is this something that you are admitting <laughs> to or that you aspire to? <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Kind uh, of. Kind of. Um, so, uh, something I, I missed in your intro, uh, I wanted to mention, you are also multiple Amazon bestselling author. Yeah. Um, you, you, years ago, um, you know, I closed the tab years ago, you, you had attained such a, such an illustrious height, but recently, um, just like what last month. You, you, uh, most yep. recently, um, you, the darkness of Diggory Finch book yep. one awakening, which is a book I got to, uh, read an advanced copy of, I believe Yay. back in the day. That was fun. Yeah. Really fun book. Uh, very different than, uh, the other one I read colony lost was, uh, I, I think you said it best space Marines versus bugs. Mm-hmm. Yep. That really is that book um, <laughs> yeah. alien on a, on a, planet of of bugs and uh but but more interesting than that though like the bugs are the bugs are more they're not just bugs they're, it's, it's it's interesting stuff um but the uh darkness of diggory finch is more lovecraftian sort mm-hmm. of a young guy going back to his hometown and finding out that um things are not what they seem to be and you know he's he's uh just inherited this big mansion from his mysterious aunt and uh just scratches this the first book just scratches the surface and there's a lot clearly going on a lot left to tell with that series um 
but yeah, book one. So congratulations on that. That's, that's pretty exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, book one came out like a year ago, I think I, I forget the exact time, maybe more year and a half and it did pretty good. Uh, it's a big departure from the other genres that I've, I've written and, and yeah, I'm an old school Lovecraft guy. Like I, I remember reading Lovecraft stuff when I was in high school. And, and at first I was like, this is trash. Like <laughs> this guy talks weird. I don't get it. You know, nothing ever happens. Everyone winds up getting, you know, crazy or dead or whatever. And I just, you know, shoved like it off to the life. side. <laughs> right. And then kind of revisited it in my twenties and it just clicked. Um, and I got so much more of what, you know, he was going for in his style. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is cool. I dig this. And I, I got really into the idea of this like mythos, this, um, you know, in huge environment of um, ancient creatures and powers and monsters and, and this like ecology of nightmares and I knew I wanted to write something that was kind of uh, in that vein. And I didn't want to do it exactly like Lovecraft did because, you know, that's been done. So Diggory was sort of my um, attempt at honoring that style of book and some of the subject matters that Lovecraft wrote about a lot, but also bringing in my, you know, modern sensibilities and having characters that had, you know, my sense of humor and my um, wildly inappropriate dialogue and just giving giving people who may not have heard um, or read any Lovecraft stuff uh, exposure to the kind of style of story, but through the lens of um, you know, a very different perspective, and and to see it finally get some some real traction and success was was really exciting. Nice, yeah, I think that's a a pretty good way of putting it. It's uh, it's like um, it's a good jumping on point for people who haven't read or maybe find uh, the language of Lovecraft a little bit too. Uh, it's dense, man. Um, yeah. Because the other thing with Lovecraft is, you know, he, he used all the $64 words like on purpose. Like I, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I feel like he's, he flexed always. Like that's all he's just like, as he's writing, he's like, yeah. like at all right. times, he's just like, I'm right. going to poop out every, long word that i can and god damn it give me that thesaurus right he got paid um, by the letter not by the word <clears throat> is that true i, I mean it seems like it, he, he uh he definitely you know if he could have used 10 to say something he used 15 absolutely there absolutely. There, there are so many instances where his like prose is just like okay dude yeah mm. it's purple yeah we know yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and he does tend to be, uh, he gets it, it, the thing that I always think about, uh, with Lovecraft is cause I tend to actually prefer, uh, Lovecraft pastiches mm -hmm. more than the actual originals. Yep, yep. Um, Lovecraft tends to get a little caught in the weeds with his language Absolutely. to the point where, yeah. like you said, you know, you, you know, we get it. It's purple, just say it's purple and we'll move on because he spends so much time trying to describe uh, in trying to be el as eloquent as humanly possible that you sort, you know, I find myself rereading passages because I'm like, wait, what, wait, what's going on again? Right. What are we doing here? Are we still talking we, about him? Yeah. I don't, are we, you know, whose yeah. castle is this again? I, I don't remember yep. why we were in the, where, how do we get to the brig? I don't know. Um, <laughs> there was a piece there. There was a piece there. <laughs> uh, it's made of spikes, but um yeah, so I, I I sort of always enjoy like if there's a, I mean I'll, the thing is that they all often tend to have humor, 
which is funny because his stuff never did. So I don't know why exactly that is, but it's true for your book as well. Um, and uh, I, I think if, you know, whenever I talk, whenever I have authors on and, uh, and I've read their books or whatever, I, I don't like to give stuff away because I do want people who are uh, listening to the podcast to give it a try. And I, I certainly don't want to say too much, but I, I will say, I just want to talk briefly about like my favorite, my favorite part of the book. Okay. Um, it's not a scene. Um, it's just a, an element of your world building. And um, it was the coins. Ah, yeah. So I really liked the coin aspect. Thank you. Um, sort of gave me a little bit John Wick vibes, um, mm-hmm. which I is kind of my favorite thing about the John Wick universe because uh, yeah. you don't really understand it. Um, it's it's just this bizarre currency that they have. But you explain yours, and uh, I really dig this element. I love it when. There's something, and you you actually had some coins minted. Yeah, you know, they're actually they're actually you know U.S. legal tender. So if you, <laughs> well, I don't if know about you, that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it depends if uh, if the guy at the Seven Eleven is a big Chris Philbrook fan, and and you know you can be like, well, I have this this coin here, and uh, it is a Chris Philbrook. He's he's <laughs> actually he's actually wiped it on his butt. So yes, if you, yes. Yeah, so this one, this is an official butt coin. And, yes, uh, I put it in the coin slot. Yeah. Um, no, so no, this, I love it when uh, stories have uh, a tangible MacGuffin type thing that you sort of link. Uh, in, yeah, there you go. It's really, really cool. Uh, for oh, yeah. Joe can see it. Yeah, it's yep. uh, all octopusy and stuff, yep. which we, we're just fans. We, you know, you got our brand. You know, you got our brand. Seriously, yeah. right? Um, so I guess that was uh, that was designed by our mutual friend Remy Flag. Right? Yeah, yeah. I had uh, I had um, his his cover art um, identity cover villain um, put together the you know the art design and um, he did the covers and uh, when you know I wrote the story that the concept of those coins is kind of integral to the economy of the bad guys. Yes. They yes. they have this. Uh, access to this strange substance that they have identified as um, being valuable to the monsters. They don't know why yet. Uh, and it's very difficult for them to get. And then when they, they have this material, they can mint it into coins because it's portable and whatnot. And uh, they can barter with um, pretty horrible things using this the, the these coins and then with each other because the coins have value to other people who know the coins are valuable so in, in the book they talk about um you know hey does blah 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 have a coin and they're like no no they they swapped it for like a half million bucks to buy a house um or something to that effect and it, it creates this like second tier of um wealth you know that mm-hmm. someone you know could have you know, a handful of these coins and they are they're tremendously valuable um because of what they can do and you know when i was getting ready to put the book out i i thought to myself you know could could i make them because like that would be really really cool if i could actually have like physical coins made that you know kind of at least matched the book and you know i did some research and i found a couple of vendors and then i you know i got prices and i went to remy and i was like dude could you work up a, a coin design based on the story in the book like 15 minutes later he sent me a pdf because remy is remy 
and uh, <laughs> we, we had them made. And yeah, they were expensive. Um, and I had to buy a ton of them and it cost me a ton of money, but I wound up selling a whole bunch, um, during the Kickstarter and basically like paid back the investment on it. And now like I go to a convention and they're like awesome giveaways and, you know, I can sell them too, because people who, who weren't there at the level of the Kickstarter who wanted a coin, you know, when they see me, they're like, Hey, do you still have any of those coins? Yeah, I do. Um, and it's like, brings the story into the real world right totally because it's like meta. yeah right and you know whenever i hand one to somebody i'm like hold on to it yep you never know when you're gonna need it yeah and right. they're like yeah okay dude um <laughs> now i'm really creeped out or they think i'm a weirdo which is still equally creepy um but yeah it's just like this cool tangible thing and, and you is. know it, i'm glad i did it. it it was cool yeah no i think it's i think it's amazing um i was gonna say it it, it reminds me of like the lament configuration. It's like, yep. there's, there's, there, there's something about that <clears throat> that I just love so much where you can have this physical meta thing and you're like, no, this is, this is it. This is, this is LaMarchand's box right here. Right. This is neat thing. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I always liked Hellraiser a little bit more than the other like 80 slashers. I liked mm -hmm. the mythology of it. Yeah. And, and I, I uh, love that stuff. Yeah, that that box is so interesting to me. I love, you know, I mean, the story of the first two movies is great, and I love the Cenobites and all that stuff. But there's the cube, man. The cube is mm -hmm. like my favorite. It looks I awesome. Love it. It looks awesome. It's just a great idea. It's yep. just a great idea. N no other, you know, eighty slasher has like a device like a MacGuffin like that. And and I would say that that cube is one of the most memorable of all time like MacGuffin devices you know any well i mean thing. it's a it's a it's as iconic in the genre as jason's hockey mask is or michael myers shatner mask is mm. or you know like any of those like major like on brand uh yeah. things that like the moment it's you so see cool. it you know you see the yeah. cube you know you um know. right and so. so that's kind of what I was getting with those coins. And I'm like, I love that there is a little element like this that makes the world feel uh, lived in. And you can, you know, I didn't even know that when I was reading it, I had no idea that you made those, but you sent me one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's really, really cool. So uh, anyway, Thanks. yeah, it's, it's definitely because, you know, this, the story is, is a fun story. It's, it's a cool story. Um, but I think that for me that like, I just love world building. And to me, that was like not taken from Lovecraft. Yeah. You know, you're you're yeah. like, Oh no, I'm doing, yeah. You know, it's unabashedly this Lovecraft pastiche sort of thing. And you know, whatever, uh, how do you make it your own? Well, mm -hmm. that was, that went pretty far for me. I thought that was pretty awesome. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. Um, so Joe, uh, obviously you're here too. I am here. Hi guys. Hey Joe. Hey man. <laughs> so, uh, did you, ha did you want to ask Chris anything specific before we get into the retro um, yeah. segment of our, yeah. um, about the, uh, the Adrian's undead diary. Mm. Did you think, I mean, I've never read the books, um, but I'm just curious, like, did you think that this series would be become very popular no 
of all knows there's so many <laughs> zombie books and shows and movies or whatever you, you would think it'd be like just buried underneath all the the other popular stuff that's out there so timing timing was everything for me i i started to write it before the walking dead uh tv show started and i started releasing entries online um well, a couple of weeks before the show went on the air and it wasn't on purpose it was just kind of like the natural um you know way it kind of unfolded and as a result the writing that i was putting out was picked up by the people who wanted more in that genre when the show blew up so people were looking for more content and at the time there really wasn't a whole lot um especially written like if, if you rewind back to 2010 and you look at what was available in that genre there really wasn't a whole lot right and i was on that kind of leading wave um of which is now um a very heavily populated genre yeah. um you know there's 150 authors all putting out books on the regular um and now it's pretty um cluttered i would say now there's there's a lot of uh titles out there that um you know compete for the space but because i was able to kind of hook in those fans before the genre got flooded i'm like the old mainstay um mm. and you know they they you know my readers and my listeners you know check out all the new people and they have new stuff that they really like but I was their first love <laughs> um, or, you know, I was their first or second love because there, there really wasn't that much stuff when I started to write. Um, so, I, you know, I've got, I've got loyalty from people who were there from the jump. Um, and as far as like, did I think it was going to be successful? I, I really didn't. I, I thought it would be a fun way to, to write a story to entertain my friend. And, um, you know, when the website started to pick up and we started to get, um, you know, visitors and hits that were like hey man like i think google says we can monetize this now should we um and you know my buddy joe was like dude get paid <laughs> like people are enjoying your writing you're putting out content let yeah. them pay you for it yeah so you know that's what we did at first you know i was like all right well, let's put up a couple of little banner ads and this is back when banner ads were like the way everything you know made money yeah and then i put up like a paypal tip jar and um, money just started coming in and it was like, all right, cool. People want me to do this. And it's, it just hasn't stopped. Um, and you know, that, that story in its infancy, um, and, and what it's grown to has built my career. You know, I'm a full-time writer. I wake up in the morning, I put on my pajamas and I wander to my desk and I write stories and that's really friggin' cool. Yeah. Um, and I never, never, ever, ever, ever imagined that that would be a possibility for me. Never. I mean, that's really cool. Yeah. It's freaking, freaking awesome. Yeah. It's, it's badass. So Adrian's March has maybe two more books in it, but who knows? Two, maybe three. You'll have record we'll for Adrian. <laughs> the the yeah right the um the 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 way the story unfolds there it's pretty obvious when you're most of the way through the first section that mm -hmm. there's like three parts to this story and the first eight books brings you to the end of what you then discover is like the obvious first part which is why i said like oh you know there's more stuff to to explore well yeah there's like hints that this is only part one of three and adrian's march is very clearly part two 
And I never intended to write part two or part three. I really wanted it to be like a big question mark. But now that I'm most of the way through part two, as soon as I finish part two, people are going to be like, okay, so when's the next section coming out? And I know that's coming. And I, I, I'm excited in one, on one end because it's like, all right, cool. People want me to keep writing. This is awesome. I can still eat and pay my bills and my kids can go to school and stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I, I have written a lot of zombie content, man. <laughs> I, like, I, I'm on like 3 million words in this story now, something wow. absurd like that. And wow. I mean, that's why I got to like get out and like flex the creative muscle and write other stuff from time to time. Right. Cause I love to write and I love to be creative and I totally dig world building, but it's like, dude, like there's only so many, you know, mauled people I can put in a book before I just right. got to move on. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing that always, I, that I always think of with long, these long series is like, I don't know how you keep coming up with stuff for any single thing, whatever it is, as anything that gets overly long like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess because maybe, maybe it's because it's like, you, you know, you said, you know, if I write a succinct novel, then, then maybe that's my, how my brain works. Like I like to have an end that I want to be gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting to me, like at this point, 3 million words, I, I don't know how you're still coming up with, uh, with anything let alone yeah. like because because your zombies evolve right i was reading the different synopses and stuff so you're you're introducing new versions of stuff so you must have some sort of resident evil evolution to a degree right like where you know in book 13 they they probably don't look the same as they did in book books one and two or something right i can neither confirm nor deny any well, of those details you know, we can we can just ask the despite the listeners to to read all 13 books and find out for themselves. that's fine <laughs> yes the um the, you know, the basic idea is that the the zombies are romero-esque right the classic kind of blue-skinned mm-hmm. shambling stupids and um, shambling stupids you you start to see as the story goes along that they're they behave weirdly at times and they start to show glimmers of not just intelligence but like malicious cunning mm-hmm. and you know adrian the main character starts to realize like hey wait a minute <laughs> like this is this is not what we all thought it was and as the story goes on you start to realize that they are um they are saxophone players many of them play the ukulele um but wind instruments are tough they don't breathe gotcha. they they're, they're i want evolving is not the right word but you're you're in the right ballpark they they are they are being improved. Hmm. They are being utilized in a different way. Hmm. And, you know, it, it all makes sense by about the, the third novel where nice. enough, enough of the reveals have come out that you're like, Oh, that's what's happening. Gotcha. And from that point on, it's like, okay, all right. And now I know what's going on. This is terrifying. I'm very uncomfortable about this. And then in book uh, 10, I think it is 10 or 11 it like ramps up a notch again. The intensity goes from, you know, the level that they thought they were at. And then all of a sudden they, they start to behave even more differently and unpredictably. Um, and you know, you got to keep it fresh. Right. And it also just kind of fit the story. It was, it was part of the, the original, um, 
you know, catalyst of like, all right, well, how can I write any story and, and keep it interesting in the genre? All right, well, I have to have some flexibility with the monsters. Because after a while, you know, the people who lived are going to live. The people who died are going to die, um, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's great that it's, you know, so obvious to you. But, you know, Robert Kirkman didn't really get that memo. Uh, <laughs> so I think I think the reason why so many people tapped out of the Walking Dead TV show at one point or another, I being one of them, I think I lasted maybe five seasons or something, but um, was because of the lack of that. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be as ridiculous as a Resident Evil, right? The, you know, I mean, halfway through the first game, you know, they're you're so, or maybe not the first game, but you're so far from zombies, it's not even about zombies. You're like, oh my god, the zombies aren't even. It's this isn't a zombie story, right? It's, when when one shows up, it's like, oh, a zombie, a zombie, right? Yeah, it's right, like right. that's just the start of it, which is also fascinating. But yeah, um, yeah. I think that The Walking Dead just you know the whole mission statement of oh this is a this is not a zombie <coughs> story this is a story about people with zombies in it mm -hmm. and you know they they clearly were very high on their own supply with that they really just very proud of that fact and you know the zombies just never change so you're like okay well so this show is just one or the other it's either we're on the road we got to find some place to live or oh we're we're in some place to, now and let's see how long we can keep it and then oh crap we're back on the road again right let's oh no the inevitable live. betrayal yeah it's right it's just yep. it's just a b a b a b a b and yeah it is about the characters and that's fine for a while but then you realize that yeah well it's just really about a couple characters because you're killing everybody off and then that becomes the, the edginess becomes the point kind of like game of thrones so right. you know i think it would have been really interesting if there had been some uh, in Walking Dead, if there had been some evolution with the zombies or some something you learn about the zombies. I think one of the most fascinating uh, revelations in The Walking Dead was when you learned that, oh, it, everybody's infected. It's right. when you get bit, you don't, you, a zombie virus is not being transmitted. You are just going to die of like blood poisoning, essentially. And really, right. we're all infected. That was a fascinating mm -hmm. moment in yep. that show. And it was the only one. Right. And it was in the first season. <laughs> right. Or the, <laughs> right. I think I think it was the end of the second season. No, they were at the they CDC. They were at the CDC in the very end of, of the first season in Atlanta. And right. That's they, when they learned they, that. They yeah. They carpool it in and they they get inside the the facility and they meet this one doctor who's like yeah, I, I don't yeah, know I masturbating to guns and ammo or whatever by himself. And he discloses to them that yeah, we're all infected. We realized everyone's infected. Okay. That's literally like the fifth episode of the seat of the show, right? And, and then and it's the it's that's the most it. fascinating thing right and, about and, the and it's like they don't even tell they don't, don't they don't explain like how they got infected like what's in the water yeah. supplies in the air like right what like so nothing. so my, my soapbox about the walking dead and i and i say this um and i say this with like you say this and, as a better zombie writer <laughs> love and adoration <laughs> in my heart um because if it wasn't for the walking dead's success i wouldn't be where i am today um but as a a story concept um 
you know, Robert Kirkman's gone on the record as saying that, you know, this is about a, a new world and we're telling the story of this new world. And it's not about one given character and we're seeing what it's like to live in this new world. And it doesn't have an ending. There's no goal. It's just this massive epic saga. And that's a bad concept. Like it, it's just a bad idea because you don't have a concise arc that a player that that a reader or a listener can like get invested in they don't know right. where it's going it's just what's happening in this episode um or this comic or this graphic novel right so you you can't hook people indefinitely when there's no sense of purpose right and secondly because they they from the jump have said that like this isn't about a single character right everyone is expendable and you can't stay invested in anyone because right. the story isn't about them, right? And then it got to a point where they wanted to pivot and they killed off um, Rick and um, his son Carl, right? And that was it, right? Like th those mm. two were the main characters. The, in the first episode, it's you know Rick and Carl. And once they were gone, you, you, right, you lost the core element of the show right and then you know you got daryl and carol and whatever but they were the b team and now they're the a team mm -hmm. but like you can't get invested right so people who are into the story aren't watching it because they're invested in the growth of a character that they can identify with and that they can latch on to and that they can share struggles with it's just you know the sesame street you know muppets with zombies around them and it doesn't matter who pops up from behind the trash can right, right. it's just like a, a constant revolving door and you know that the street's going to be the street and you already know what's going to happen one episode to right, the next and right. it's just lather rinse repeat right exactly lather rinse repeat it's 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 road or it's it's we're living here for a time and none of the characters are, are permanent. None of the stories right. really matter. And even when, you know, they start to make you care about some new threat to the group, it's like, even if you care, like in the moment, it's so brief and you're like, Oh, right. It's just another new threat. to the mm -hmm. group. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely, I think you really put that well. Um, I don't know if, if anybody's ever told you this before, but you know, you should write books. That was, uh, that was real <laughs> no, a couple that people was, uh, did yeah, a couple. Yeah. yeah well, I'm glad they did. I'm glad that happened. Um, no, it's, it's like the, um, that, that truly is, I mentioned loss, but that's really a pointless show. The, the mm -hmm. point simply is to enjoy it in the moment, but, and, uh, but with lost, they had a core cast. They did. Right. True. So episode one had how many characters, right? And then the final episode, how many of those characters were still there? You were still with them through the whole journey, right? That is and true. That, that, that is, is true. a that is a huge difference, right? Because people don't get invested in events, right? They don't care about the events. They care about the characters and how the characters deal with mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah. So like if there were a completely different cast of people in the last episode of Lost no one would talk about the show at all right well no but one because... talks about it now I, I bring it i bring it up because it's 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 a great thing to compare things in a negative way it's like don't be <laughs> don't be lost folks well i hate That's... to break this to you but lost was a long time ago steve it was, it was you're a long time. very old now yes no i i was old last year too yeah you're sad about the I'm dinosaurs dying now though um yeah no it's it, it it really is just so interesting to me because i i was so caught up in it 
And I think it's a fascinating uh, example of how not to do things. Um, and, you know, some people drink their own Kool-Aid and <laughs> I get it. Uh, Damon Lindloff, you Kool-Aid drinking bastard. But hey, you know, it, 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 it really just at the end of the day, one of the things that like that gets me just the bullet points for what not to do. Don't raise more questions than you you plan to answer. Don't mm-hmm. raise questions without knowing the answers. Uh, have some idea. Like mm-hmm. uh, if the entire point is only to raise more new questions because you want to hook more people, you're doing it wrong. You, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some plan. Don't, right. don't do the uh, Star Wars sequels folks. Right. But um, as much as I actually don't hate the Star Wars sequels, but you know, they're, they're I, I love them and they don't make sense. No, they, they're riddled with problems. Uh, it's, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I like them, but uh, actually quite like the first two, the, the third one's, third one's my least favorite by far but the uh but you know it is what it is mm-hmm. they should have had a plan and it sucks it sucks so bad that they didn't but uh Adrian's i'll take rogue one all day though rogue one give me rogue one i'll take rogue one all day every yeah, day I, I, so are you like loving andor i did I, I liked it it is remarkably different than other star wars stuff so um and so, and I I went into it knowing that it was going to be darker and it was going to have a much different tone, mm-hmm. and I, I the first couple of episodes were tough um, because it, I thought it, so too. Yeah, it's, it's it, they they do like a whole different kind of world building, and it's different on so many levels. Yeah, um, but it does pay off in the end. Like once you get the world building stuff out of the way and it kind of fast forwards you to to a more relevant time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really digged it and I thought the ending was really good. And I, I really do hope that they do the season two because I think again, as a whole, if you can take a couple of seasons of it, I think it'll be a really, really cool um story. Hmm. I, I've only seen the first seven episodes. I watched it all at once with uh our third host who's not here, Ape at Alchemy. And uh the two of us hadn't gotten around to seeing it and we just had a free day. And I'm like, let's just binge what's out. It was seven episodes at that point. And um and so we decided we were going to wait until they were all out and then pick another day and watch the rest of the season. But when I, when you sort of get to that point where you realize that they're telling things in like little trilogies of episodes mm-hmm. yeah, and they have like a mission, but it's going to take three episodes or so to, to deal with. I just, I just love that as a format for any show ever. That, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's a yeah. great way of telling the story. Yeah. It's like uh, it's, it, it, it's literally the best of all worlds to me. Because I like having memorable small adventures, but mm-hmm. I want them to connect in some meaningful way too. But yep, uh, no, I I, I've, I've been I've really enjoyed the the seven episodes that I saw, and uh, I will say it. Well, yeah, the first couple episodes were, were they're hard. You know, yeah, they're the hard. First one especially the first. Well, the opening of the show is so good, mm-hmm. um, and then it really like just crashes after that oh, first yeah. opening yeah. scene, and the rest of the episodes like oh god. Yeah, it ain't um, Jar Jar. You know, it, it ain't, it's not that Star Wars. It, it's a very, it's emphasis on wars. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And lots of characters that come and go and mm-hmm. uh, then come back. And you're like, oh, wait, wasn't so-and-so in the show? And it's like, oh, yeah, just, they're in it plenty. Just wait. Uh, Aunt Petunia was uh, just a treat. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. not expecting her in Star Wars. I love her. I have uh, i can't remember her actual name, but... Um, <laughs> I've always loved her ever since Three Men and a Little Lady. 
Yeah. Where she played this super sexed up uh, school marm who had the hots for Tom Selleck. <laughs> who didn't? Who didn't? Uh, it's a good segue to Machismo, too. Tom Selleck okay. and, and his mustache. So, okay. So, Machismo. <laughs> so, we can get on to the part of the episode that you're really excited to get to, Chris. Which is, <laughs> Uh, talking about, so you, you decided for the retro half of this episode, you wanted to talk about cheesy macho man, big, ridiculous eighties action movies. Hell yeah. And, uh, you said, how about if we all pick one and present a case for our case for why we think it's the most ridiculous, Mm -hmm. which is just a fantastic idea. So let's, let's dive into that. So we each have, all three of us have each have one pick. Where we watched, uh, we watched a movie, and we're going to present a case where what, why it's the most ridiculous. Uh, I have to admit, I watched all three, and I, I actually sort of want to pick Joe's pick, but I'm going to stick with mine because. <laughs> but I think technically, I sort of have changed my mind, but that's okay. Um, so Chris, yeah, uh, what have you know? What no, let's Joe. Do you want to go first or do you want Chris to go first? Uh, Chris can go first. It's fine. Okay. And I know he's dying to talk about his okay. movie. So why well, this is going to be such a good team effort. I'm so excited to hash this together okay, and, so Chris, and get opinions and stuff. What is the most stuff. ridiculous macho man, cheesy eighties movie of all time for you? Very clearly. The answer is roadhouse there. There really can't be any other discussion in my opinion about we're gonna have it anyway cheesy machismo raw testosterone and natty light and like bad decisions and little too much hair product and like just just trash amazing 80s macho-ness roadhouse is the only answer patrick swayze should have a statue he should be worshipped and i believe jasper missouri should become the new capital of america (laughs) <laughs> done and so show roll credits <laughs> what's your relationship with this movie have you seen it a million times i okay like- all right so that's a very personal question and i feel like mm-hmm. i don't know you well enough to talk about my relationship with roadhouse i'll have no I, way of knowing <laughs> so <laughs> this is i mean you know let's let's just set the stage all right this is like sure. 1980 what 8 89 when did it come out i forget but yeah 89 and <laughs> this is like the skinamax era of television so for for those of you who are perhaps not of the same generation as us old people um in 1989 i was 13 right so testosterone raging through my portly little body and i (laughs) needed a hero and roadhouse appeared on cinemax or hbo at home or whatever and i watched it and i i just thought the idea of a bouncer who was as cool and collected and badass as dalton is swayze's character and there there's um you know some bimbo action that they they sauce in there for love interests and stuff and it absolutely and completely connected with 13 year old chris i wanted to be him I wanted to touch him if that was an option and I wanted to be around all of the women in that movie. Cause they were, you know, gorgeous or funny and smart. And I mean, this movie is responsible for really, really awful expectations with emergency room personnel, because like <laughs> the girl he winds up dating is like this bombshell blonde 
Kelly Lynch is the name of the actress. And I remember thinking, oh man, like small town hospital, like that's the doctor, man, I I can't wait to get hurt. And, um, you know, as it turns out, most of the people who work in an ER. I can't wait to be seriously injured somehow. How can I? I (laughs) Are all doctors like this in the South? Um, It does explain why I lived in Arkansas for a year, but that's a whole different other story. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, like it just, it, it hit it all. It, it had like the blues music. It had the trashy bar. It had the hero trying to do right. It had the over the top ridiculous villains. It had this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the money grubbing corporate dude. It had giant monster trucks, giant monster trucks, guys. Giant monster the trucks. movie is about a bar. And there's a giant monster truck and you're goddamn right. It drives over stuff and crushes it. And I had little, why else would you have such a monster truck? I know exactly. Right. Like you're not going to commute with it. You you destroy things with it. Yeah. You obviously drive over things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I videotaped it onto a VHS, you know, recorded it. And I watched that VHS until the tape melted. I, I, I think I've probably seen roadhouse, conservative estimate at least a hundred times there was there was a period of my life where i could i could quote the movie almost verbatim start to finish like i would be like in my room looking at my comic books and i'd have the movie on in the background and i'd be like take the biggest guy in the world shatter his knees and you'll come down you know like i knew the whole script front to back and i wanted sam elliott to be chris stop stop you're you're i mean just five more words in every all the all our female listeners are going to be pregnant. You got to stop. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't afford that kind of bill. I should stop. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> um, Joe, have you ever seen this movie? I have not. I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen it. Now I so, kind of want to. <laughs> Joe, I think you'd love it, honestly. So I also had never seen it. Confession: I my mom loves this movie. <laughs> um has talked she loves patrick swayze she i, I don't know <coughs> the only, i think the only patrick swayze movie i've ever seen is ghost i saw ghost yes. like numerous times when it was like out originally and um I, I i don't know i just never saw this movie so i watched it for this episode and uh i i really enjoyed it it was really fun <laughs> um you know it's it is cheesy. But it is. It's not. It's not cheesy est though. I. I mean. It's so, just not. <laughs> so I remember. I, I remember. I really think Joe wins. <laughs> I. I remember back when I was a kid. I, I remember. Yeah, this is when Siskel and Ebert were, was on TV, right? And like, in order to find out if a movie was good, you had to watch their show on Saturday afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. And I remember Ebert, I think it was Ebert's review was like, this movie is good enough to not be bad, but is bad enough to not be good. Oh, whatever. And, it, and but like, <laughs> it, it kind of sums it up. Like it really does. Like you know, 30, 30 years later, <laughs> when I go back and watch it, it's like, God, this movie is awful. And I love it. Yeah. And it, it like the, the, the dialogue is so so ridiculous and the like the the people making bad decisions are just like asinine to the extreme but it like i don't know the characters are fun you know the 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 noble people are very noble and i don't know it's Mm -hmm. just it really connects with me see i i thought that some of the dialogue was great Mm -hmm. and um i think that everything so patrick swayze is legitimately awesome in this movie he He really is 
he is all the things you said, but he's also like not he's not good in a bad way. I think he's just good in this movie. Mm-hmm. He plays the character perfectly. Um, the material is whatever, but I mean, it's not like it's terrible dialogue. Um, he seems like a unique character. He's very, like you said, he's very noble. He's he's basically the tough guy hero who you know is not going to, you know, he's invincible. You, you're not worried about him. Um, he's going to take down any threat. You know, I, I call this the, uh, the, like the Conan type, like, you know, you have a main character who they don't have to be built like Conan, but if it's that type of story it's that, you know, it's the snake Plissken, you're not worried about the character. They're too tough. They're too unbeatable, but <clears throat> they sort of throw monkey wrenches in there because like he, he's also kind of like seemingly a pacifist at first. Like he doesn't want to fight. He knows he can, he doesn't need to prove anything. There's something weird you know, you never really see that with these tough guy types. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't run towards battle. Um, but, you know, and the movie does make you wait because it, it keeps telling you that he's great. And it keeps telling you that, you know, you, you get the feeling. You're like, no, I'm pretty sure he's like a Conan type. I'm pretty sure he mm-hmm. can be- beat everybody at this in this bar all at once. But you don't get to see it for quite a while. Right. And then finally he, he kicks ass and it's like, Oh man, this is so earned. Yeah. The you know, payoff you, on you just, that is, is there. Yeah. The payoff's great. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I had no idea that uh, Sam Elliott's in this mm-hmm. and it, like, Oh man, the, the ultimate bro vibe with these. Seriously. These I mean, so Joe for the male hair alone in this Mm-hmm. You need to watch it. Although, like, well, yeah, I mean that, that's Swayze, th- that's the only reason why I want to watch it. Obviously, <laughs> between <laughs> between Swayze and Sam Elliott, they have like all like. Can you imagine if Kurt Russell was in this movie? Oh my god! Mm. I mean, now, like, now all the women are pregnant. So you yeah, great job. I mean, I'm pregnant yeah. now. So yeah, well, Joe's pregnant for God's sake. <laughs> I'm pregnant for God's sake. You got to remember though. You got to remember though that Roadhouse in '89 came out and it was like the Venn diagram of hair, right? Yeah. So like on one side you have like the mullet era, right? When like mullets right. were cool, right? right and yep. then in the other circle you've got that like that like flat top, you know, tight trim, sort of like the Keanu Reeves and speed kind of haircut right and like oh yeah yep. road roadhouse is where they meet right so you got half of the characters have like badass mullets and then the other half of the characters have like the good haircuts that are like you know more socially acceptable now although the mullets making a comeback but it's like right in that middle yeah. slice of the venn diagram of badass man hair and I, I call i call this the uh i just took my hair out of a ponytail <laughs> it's been in the ponytail i just before i started before I, you walked in i just took it out now it's now you have like the golden arches mm-hmm. well i mean <laughs> any and i'm sure you you probably remember this because the movie's fresh but there's a you know part you know sam elliott has like gray hair in the movie and he you know he like lets his hair down or whatever and then he puts it up in like a bun or like a ponytail <laughs> and it <laughs> Right, right. With and, an actual rubber band, I'm like, what a badass! Probably like, loses like 20 hairs every time, and he's like, he's like, that's okay, I got a million. Right. Pain don't hurt. <laughs> and it, it, like, but that scene of like this old dude putting his hair up in a ponytail is like legit hard, 
right? Like he just like casually whoops some ass and then puts his hair up in a ponytail and just moves on. Like that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And like I remember as a kid being like, I want a ponytail. I want to I want to be like Sam Elliott. He's so cool. I, I want a busted leg like him too in a movie. Cause oh, there's just so much like I can feel the testosterone rising right now. I'm so excited. And he's there's there's also the scene <laughs> that and and I just I just Again, uh, I've not seen a scene like this, and I, I just really liked it. Um, <clears throat> there's there's a decent amount of respect. Uh, I I felt like, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, he's the character, the male characters, the her- heroic male characters. They're not womanizers at all. And, no, uh, not really. Specifically, no. right? So specifically, Patrick Swayze, like, because there's there's like that other blonde girl keeps throwing herself at him, and he's just mm-hmm. he's like not interested and he's doing a job and you know whatever um and stem elliott sort of he sees he sees the the doctor lady and he's like well i just want to dance and he literally just wants, wants to dance, to dance. he <laughs> is like he is 100 percent putting all the sam elliott charms which are considerable right and he's giving her the eyes and the the old sideways cowboy smirk and he's like three inches from her face and they are dancing mm-hmm. and uh you always you, you, at no point do you think that it's going to go further than dancing and you don't think that he thinks that it's going to go further than dancing, right yeah because he respects kurt russell and under somehow they all understand what's going on and oh i said kurt russell i mean uh Patrick <laughs> swayze. and and swayze is like like Totally, totally chill you know totally fine he's chill he's like he, he's not at all like jealous or anything there's so many things about like the way that these characters act that i think are so bit, uh, <laughs> not typical for machismo movies so <laughs> you, know, you don't have the negative aspects of the overly testosterone laden male character I'm, I'm gonna wax poetic about the effect that this movie has had on culture because i really think sure. it's had a powerful effect on culture and this is why i think it's so important Real security people reference this movie and use many of the tenets established in it as like actual guidelines to be like really? a bouncer. Yeah, for real. Um, I, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I later went on to be a bouncer for 13 years. And uh, I'm not saying it was because of Roadhouse, but you know, maybe. And the <laughs> Swayze's character Dalton has, you know, the three rules, right? And, um, there are companies that teach those three rules verbatim from the script because they're good rules and they make sense. And if you keep them in mind, you will keep people safer. So there's that, right? Like a, a fictional movie about so bouncers. Is this where he said like, he's like, he's like, be nice. Right. <laughs> be be nice. Take it outside or, you know, whatever, you yeah. know, take care. You take care of the person next to you and we'll all do, you know, we'll be all right, whatever. But the second thing is, is like, you know, we're joking about like all this machismo and all this like, you know, 80s testosterone, but the the good characters in this movie are actually really good examples of non-toxic masculinity. Right, right. Because they have that like brotherly camaraderie. They're polite. They're um, sensitive. They talk about feelings. They have like healthy boundaries. They have lots of trust. They're not aggressive. Like they espouse a lot of those like really positive masculine traits. And all of the bad guys in the movie are all of the examples of toxic masculinity right and this is a movie in 89 so we're you know it it was old but like 
you know, here we are 30 odd years later and you look back on it. It's like, Oh wow. Okay. This is really cool. So absolutely. Yeah. I clearly mean, the best movie than from I was, but exactly. Exactly. You know, you didn't, you didn't see that a lot back then. <clears throat> certainly not in the action genre and certainly not in the eighties. Um, but yeah, that, yeah. that is something I really thought was cool. Like yeah, very it's, different. And, it's uh, really cool. <clears throat> Very different. Yeah, Joe, I, I think you'd like this movie. I, I, well, I definitely want to see it. Sure. I know I Joe will. I think it was really good. Uh, I I was I didn't know what to expect. Um, I think, you know, I think my whole life, I thought it was like a dancing movie. I thought it was like a Footloose <laughs> or something. Roadhouse. I really didn't know. Like, I don't know. I, I think I just, and I've seen Footloose. It's not for me. Um, it's don't not lie. a favorite bacon movie. But it is. It could be on this list as cheesiest, but it's not be, an yeah. action. <clears throat> it's not an action cheese ball fest. It does not. <laughs> it does not star big McLarge huge. So, um, all right. Well, I mean, fair case for uh, uh, Roadhouse being the cheesiest, uh, the most cheesy '80s big dumb action movie. I think it's. I think. I think you're wrong, though. It, it's. It's not dumb enough. That's really the. That's the fault here. Uh, it may be the best of its kind, but we're not. We're not looking for the best. We're looking for the most ridiculous. Mm. So good. You know, good swing and a miss there, pal. But definitely a great movie. Um. So so Joe, uh, do you want to go now? Sure. Or, sure. Because oh, I, I think I think you really have the quick. movie. I think you have the winning movie, personally. Yeah, I, I, this is going to be really quick. So uh, I picked The Running Man, which came out in 1987. Classic. And uh, the, the part for me that's, that's extremely machismo, it has to be the Captain Freedom's workout commercial. Oh, my God. So good. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. <laughs> All well flexing. <laughs> this movie is based on a freaking Stephen King short story. I mean, like, <laughs> it's so weird. It's... Man. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's not a good movie by any stretch, no. but I enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> I mean, all the the, the one liners just. Where's Where's Buzzsaw? Oh, he had a split. Doesn't know he got cut in half. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> it is like, peak Schwarzenegger. <clears throat> I yeah. think this was yeah. peak, like zinger like this this entire script is zingers he yes he doesn't say anything that's not a one-liner there's no other dialogue for him joe and i were talking and he said it's it's like the mr freeze performance but for the whole movie yes it's like he yeah. just has ice puns the whole time that's all he says <laughs> yeah. just, just ice puns and of course it's not ice puns in this case but it's just it's all that it's just stupid <clears throat> shit the entire yeah. time my god um <laughs> yep. and the, you know you know what i find really funny about this movie when it occurred to me so i watched this one recently i watched all three uh over the last two days i've seen this one before but it's not a movie that i remembered 
overly well. Like I just, I'd seen it before, but so um, <laughs> it occurs to me like most of the way through the movie, I'm like, wait a minute. All we know about Schwarzenegger's character is that he's a helicopter pilot. That's it. Right. Why is, why does he look like Schwarzenegger? <laughs> and why is he such a total badass? There's, you know, there's always like a quick throwaway, like, oh, he was a Navy SEAL. Oh, he was a special forces. Oh, he was whatever. And uh, no, he was just, <clears throat> all we know is a helicopter pilot. That's all we know. Mm, Not yeah. for the military, but for like, I don't know, the police state that the world right. exists. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Ill-defined yeah. New World Order-ish yeah. sort of thing um yeah very funny i don't know it's just no good reason for him to be so badass i guess so badass yeah it's crazy but i like and you know whatever <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean <clears throat> i mean i like plenty of terrible movies uh, yeah. you know this was like also it it had like uh, it had an opportunity to make like a lot of really neat memorable villains because they keep introducing the the stalkers or whatever yes. is that what they're called yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like you know i, I kind of just wish they were better like <laughs> like <laughs> dynamo dynamo is memorable though he was shocking he was shocking <laughs> i enjoyed the uh at one point arnold calls him a christmas tree mhm yeah. He deserves it. He deserves it. That's true. <clears throat> yeah. He did look like a Christmas tree. He did. It's true. He did. Well, I, I think like speaking of Venn diagrams, right? Like how popular was um wrestling in nineteen eighty what seven? Right? Eighty right? seven. Like, super right? Popular. Like Jimmy it was, Superfly it was, Snuka. Yeah. Like Jesse Ventura's in that movie, isn't he? Right? Yep. Yeah. 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 He's he's, he's, he's uh, Captain Freedom. Yeah, he's yeah, Captain Freedom. Yep. Yep. Uh he just cashed in. <laughs> Yep. Very funny. For sure. Yeah, yeah but of course Dawson was in it too, which I've never seen him act in anything. I've, I've always seen him on game shows. The price is wrong. Yeah. Richard Dawson. I was looking at him. I'm like, I know this guy was the original host of some game show. And I, I think it's Jeopardy. And it wasn't. Here's Family <laughs> Feud. Yeah, Family Feud. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and then uh, he and was. And they in, totally uh, played up that whole like <clears throat> old ladies wanted to you know just were fainting just at his very presence wanting to hug him and kiss him just constantly which was real oh, yeah, he'd make out with everyone well, <laughs> all the ladies I don't game show uh, hosts man they're swimming in it i'm telling you what like <laughs> i will tell you what man richard dawson for sure um chuck woolery he was back oh, he was, oh what was he on Oh, he was on a bunch of stuff. I he was. Oh, there was <laughs> one in particular that was super popular. It was, yeah. What, Love Connection? Love Connection, though. Yeah, that was the back in two and two. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to remember. I'm like, uh, I think it had dating. It was, he had a Love Connection. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Lorre. Wow, I haven't heard that name in ages. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> Good stuff. I, I, I was uh, shocked that. Uh, Mick Fleetwood played himself basically in this movie. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, he shows up as like a, he's an old age makeup and uh, he, he does have a line that is he's, he's saying, you know, back in, you know, the distant past when 
people used to just you know listen to music or something like that he just makes a some comment about how he used to play music but his name's mick in the movie and it's mick <laughs> yeah. fleetwood so it's kind of like that right. tom petty in the postman thing yeah right uh, right <laughs> <wink>. before <laughs> it's kind of cool <clears throat> it's kind of cool i i definitely did not remember that and Dweezil Zappa was in it too. Right. Yeah. He's like, what? Okay, random. Dweezil Zappa. <laughs> I, I think I think the Running Man was like hatched in the living room of some like Hollywood producer where they were like, dude, 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 we're gonna make this movie. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? And then like just started like randomly calling people that they knew, like, hey, you want to be in this ridiculous movie? It's a Stephen King book, but we're totally screwing it up. <laughs> they just like literally just started calling anybody, and whoever picked up that night got to you know have a role. Or they got the script rewritten for Fitamin. Right. <laughs> but I think you're right. It, it definitely was playing up the uh, the popularity of wrestling for sure. Yeah. Those characters definitely could have been way cooler, but then they wouldn't have been so wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, they were wrestling fab. Yeah. Uh, I, I also have to mention the fact that there is a a woman in this movie who has some screen time with Arnold. There is no chemistry. They do nothing. There's nothing suggesting at any sort of, sort of a, an attraction or a relationship or anything whatsoever. They're just kind of in scenes together a few times throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And then in true cheese ball 80s style, the movie ends with the two of them on screen and they just kiss because that's what you do mm-hmm. when you're a guy and a girl and you're both in a movie and uh, it's really super awkward. Like <laughs> she pulls away. She pulls away before he does. And it's, he, she just stops. But he, he has like one more like smooch left to give. <laughs> and so he like leans in and plants the smooch on her non-kissing lips. And it's very awkward. And I just, I, I it was very cringeworthy. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> and that one extra smooch uh, he yeah. had left. He's like, that, oh, that was the best fun. take I got. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. And she's like, oh, that, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> um, okay, so Running Man, I think may be the cheesiest movie of the 80s. But my pick, my actual pick, is a movie I actually really like a lot. And I know that Mr. Philbrook is a fan. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, that he has not seen this movie as, wife, as, as many times as my wife. um but still a lot still a lot more than me that's for sure so my pick is 1987's over the top starring sylvester Stallone, and uh and a little kid who is played by david mendelhall who by the way joe uh is is daniel wick wick wit wiki in the uh transformers movie and following Seasons. Ah, okay. It's it's uh it's pretty weird. Like I looked it up and I'm like, "Oh god. Oh yeah, there it is. That yep, that is that voice. Yep. Mhm. That is totally him." Um but so, <laughs> so this movie to me, the reason why I picked this movie is because the concept is so over the top cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um on on two very different levels basically there are two movies that they just like fused into one big monstrosity and they had no right 
whatsoever to be combined and there's no good reason it should work at all. And I don't know why I like this movie as much as I do, but I guess it probably has something to do with the fact that it just has a lot of heart, even though it's all like super forced, but I, I don't know. It, it really does have a lot of heart. So basically this movie is about, <clears throat> so Stallone's character is a Lincoln Hawk, but they just call him Hawk the whole time. And he is macho. a, uh, he's, he's very macho. He's a long haul trucker. And uh, he just uh, randomly shows up. We get very little backstory. Uh, we see this kid and he's graduating from a military uh, academy. He's uh, 12 years old. And that is David. And he's played by, uh, oh no. Oh yeah, no, no. The character's Michael. His, his real name's David Mendelhall. So little, little Davey, little David, little little guy in his uh in his in his military best and he, he's graduating he's looking around and all the other kids have have parents there but not david david is has got nobody and um it's sad poor little kid and then all of a sudden he uh he, go, he gets called to the office or something and uh he's, he's the administrator general dude and he's like he's like david this is your father and there's the sylvester stallone just standing there and again his name is michael i keep saying david so Anyway, the deal is that he's he doesn't remember his dad at all. He he believes that his dad but just just left them when they when he was little and um he's never heard from him. He's never gotten a call, never gotten a letter, nothing. And uh he lives <clears throat> the kid lives with his very 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 over the top ridiculously rich grandfather and his mom, but the mom is not doing well. In fact, she is uh clearly you know dying of cancer and she's at some hospital somewhere so apparently what has happened uh is that the mom called uh estranged dad played by stallone mr hawk and said i think you should go pick up david at his school just show up unannounced he, he, he won't even remember what you look like he won't it's not going to recognize you at all not going to know you from a hole in the wall uh and i think you should drive from across the country to see me and so uh, i think that'd be a really great way for you guys to bond and stallone's like well i i i, I guess i guess i'm going to do this and he shows up and the kid understandably is like all friggin' set he's like who the hell are you guy so <clears throat> he goes with him but he doesn't want to um the administrator general guy is like no 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 you need to go with him he's, he's your dad um so basically it's a movie about a dad reconnecting with his son. So you could, that could be the movie, right? That's movie a, just a, a dad reconnecting with his son with some seriously heavy handed uh, emotional stuff thrown in. I mean, at first, you know, the kid can't stand his dad and doesn't give him an inch. And, and uh, those scenes are actually pretty good. And I have to say that while most kid actors drive me insane, he, this kid was great. He's like super good in this movie. Uh, he, he does a ton of crying scenes, but he does them all well. I think there's probably too many, but he does them really well. And uh, he delivers lines great. He's great at different emotions. Great. Uh, he's just a really good kid actor. I, I don't remember seeing him in other stuff, but I know he was in a lot of things. He did a lot of voices uh, beyond Transformers as well back in the 80s. That David Mendelhall. But um, yeah, so, so that's movie A. And then they... Uh, they just stop for some some food and uh 
and uh, movie B happens out of absolute nowhere. And that is that uh, <laughs> that on the side, um, Mr. Hawk has a hustle, and that is he competes in arm wrestling <clears throat> situations uh, that just just find him. Everywhere he goes, he's just so infamous um, that people just literally just walk up out of nowhere and challenge him to arm wrestling contests. Happens to me all the I've time. Never ex- I've, oh, really? Because I've never experienced this myself. I was wondering if anybody here else had, but hmm. um, it just it just happens. So it's it's yep. really funny. It, it it's it's sort of like, is this real? Is this happening right now? Like, what is this? But the movie poster and all the trailers and everything, they mainly just all focus on the arm wrestling thing. Because I think at the time they're like, okay, well, it's Sylvester Stallone. You know, he's been Rocky for a while. What other random sport hasn't been done that we can just have him do? And so I was like, well, um, how about arm wrestling? And that's like the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, you're going to make a movie <laughs> about arm wrestling? That is the worst idea an arm wrestling movie so they're like okay well arm wrestling movie combined with what and they're like what you can rocky's just a boxing movie they're like yeah but boxing's awesome (laughs) so anyway it's a uh, half of a arm wrestling movie and uh it's it's funny because as dumb as the concept is on paper um the arm wrestling scenes are freaking fun and exciting. Like I, I'm, I'm disgusted with myself as, I mean, it's probably because I'm American and like, we just all have this, you know, sport competitive, like, you know, it would be on ESPN eight, the Ocho, you know, after, (laughs) after dodgeball. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weirdly like totally entertaining to watch him arm wrestle guys. And uh, you do sort of get these characters that, that, you know, you meet them mostly at the end where they put most of the arm wrestling stuff. But there's a couple guys you meet earlier and they kind of appear a couple of times throughout the movie. And uh, the the main memory that I always kept of this movie, watching it again, I'm like, wow, this is really only in like two scenes. But he has he has this like workout equipment that he has rigged up with like a stack of weights and like a pulley system and a handle that he can use while he drives. So he, he, he has to, he maximizes his time on the road. He's like, he's like, well, you know, I'm driving over here. I got to go to, I got to go all the way to St. Louis, but you know, I, I can, uh, I can be working my, uh, I work my moneymaker the entire time. And, and uh, that's what he does. He's like, he's literally just driving with his left hand and the, and the right hand is just like pumping, 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 Come on. The, totally, totally seven, yeah. over the top. It gets several points for this particular contest, I think, because of that. But really, it's only in a couple of scenes. He, he's using it once, and then he shows the kid how to use it. To me, it was the whole movie. Like, I felt like this is, it was the movie where he does this, and it's really just not in it that much. All right, I'm, I'm going I'm um, to give, give you two points. Okay. Two points right now that you probably didn't know about over the top. But my my buddy Joe is a huge fan of this movie, and he did a lot of research. And these are two facts that I knew about the movie. All right, drop them. These, these are che- the these hot. are checks in your column. One, it's a true story. 
Okay. It actually happened. <laughs> There's yeah, actually but- a long haul trucker who won an arm wrestling competition who won a truck. And then they like Frankensteined a plot around it. Oh, whatever. So that's funny because that's that actually did happen. Um, and second of all, because you know the Texas Chainsaw Massacre also happened, quote unquote. Quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and and the the inside joke. There's an inside joke in the movie. What's the name of the kid? David. No, Michael. Right. It's Michael. What's the family's last name? Cutler. No. Uh, Hawk. Right. What is what is the way you could My say cock. that? <laughs> and apparently that's intentional the writers thought it would be funny if the kid's name was my cock uh, my God. <laughs> it is it is funny I'm, I'm enjoying that. oh dear well, i love that you. movie i favorite. love that movie i, I don't yeah, know so why you've, you've seen this you've seen this movie a few times it's atrocious yes it's so bad it makes no sense it's franken plotted <laughs> Yep. They, like they there's like so many like production errors where like you know people are like in totally different places drinks go from being half full to full like the the truck that he's in changes like in the middle of the scene it's like such a poorly made movie and it's so good mm. it, it's like weird it is it is and it's like the 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 heyday of like the the golan globus era do you remember that like the canon movies like chuck norris's powerhouse era american ninja like all of those like hardcore be real direct to vhs movies golan globus and this was like their blockbuster like they went big budget on this and i i think this movie ruined them i think this was like one of the movies where they're like we're going to hire stallone and and he like literally bankrupted the whole freaking company. And Robert Logia. Oh Hi, I'm Robert Logia. <laughs> I star in this movie. My name is Robert Logia. <laughs> I have a really big house in this movie called Over the Top, starring Robert Logia. <laughs> and that poster, the movie poster. God. His hand is very large in that poster. It's enormous. It's enormous. It's like like uh mo- the the dude from Moana's hook it's like this this massive magical prosthesis that he's just waving in your face that he's just going to take over the top and just smash you down to the ground <laughs> with his is... magical sock elbowed muscle yeah, arm his, his arm is basically thor's hammer like it's <laughs> And it's, it's the wrong legendary. arm too, isn't it? Isn't it like it's his left arm in the poster and he's a righty in the movie or whatever. Like it oh, it's so bad. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a hell of a poster actually. There's a couple of variations of it too that are, that are just so it really, See again, in it, and they're, they're, they're pushing the, the aspect of the arm wrestling, even though that really is less of the movie. It, it is crammed all into the end, but it is more about just him and the kid. And I think that <clears throat> their scenes are are pretty legitimately decent, like because they made Stallone. I mean, he was probably high the entire shoot, but mm. um, he really is so quiet in this movie more than usual. He's 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 very, very soft spoken in this movie. And um, he just is really tough to rile up. 
So I think that they, it was probably a decision, I'm sure as well, uh, just a creative decision because they wanted him to be more intense during the, you know, when he, he gets into character and he, what he does is he, he turns around his trucker hat and uh, he tries to explain it later. And there's like some there's shades of Rocky Balboa there where he's trying to explain himself. There's like, they're doing interviews for the big competition at the end. And he just sounds kind of dumb, but he wasn't really dumb the rest of the movie. So I don't know. I, I felt it. I felt it was just like him being awkward. Like so many people, like if you put a camera in their face, like they're just, they just turn into bumbling buffoons and you, you can't like get a word out. And he's just like, he's like, yeah, I, uh, what I do is I, I turn my, my head around like, you know, and I, I'm like, you know, when I do that, I'm like in the, I'm, I was like, I'm a different person. And I like turn my head, you know, and I, it's just so bad. He's, like, he's, he's the worst <laughs> cosplay for Two-Face from He-Man ever. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, was it was it Triclops? Oh no, Manny faces. <laughs> right. He's like Manny faces. I'm good. I'm really bad. <laughs> I always uh, wanted to be a. Milk. And then there's that one match that he loses, and he just he really slowly turns it back around in defeat and puts a bill for it again. And you're like, oh man, <laughs> he's got to turn it around anyway. Oh man, oh come on, Hawk. Um. Anyway, that's that's my pick. Uh, over the top. It's a very very silly premise, but for some reason, I don't know. Endlessly watchable. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I like I liked all three. Uh, I I had I had fun with all three. I do think that Running Man is probably the most ridiculous. Okay bye but this this does like over the top does the other side of ridiculous which is the cheesy like tries to make it into this like emotional feeling you know (laughs) father-son movie and it's just so silly but um i still like it so whatever it's an 80s classic. So so, yeah. how, so I think we've done it. I think we have uh, taken our tour through the 80s and uh, <clears throat> cut some quality cheese, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we got a charcuterie board on our hands, folks. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And before I let you out of that cell down there, um, why don't you take a minute to tell our listeners what you got coming up, what you're working on, where they can find you. Can they pay you on Patreon? What's going on with all this? <laughs> uh, yeah, they can pay me on Patreon. I have a, I have a Patreon, um, and it's just under my name, Philbrook with a PH. And uh, I've got the the 13th book of AUD just came out. The second book of the Diggory series came out a month and a half before that. And right now I'm working on the 14th book in the series of AUD. And then after that, I'll do the third book in the Diggory series. Uh, and I've got a couple of the little side projects going on, uh, you know, contributing to anthologies and whatnot, but I, I haven't announced those yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to be mums the word. Um, and if anyone wants to track me down, uh, you can just plop my name into Google and Google will point you to the promised land of inappropriate jokes and poorly timed insensitive comments. That is what following me turns out to be in the long run. So, 
I mean, it's worth the price of admission as far as I'm concerned, folks. Um, Chris Philbrook, multi award winning. Uh, we didn't, I didn't even mention it. The uh, won some, some audiobook awards. It was like a bunch, it was a, yeah. amazing, just so many more nominations than we have time for. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Let me, let me just uh, open that. I have a I have a button here. It's actually we hooked it up, so I don't even have to walk down the stairs anymore. I can just see. here we go. Uh, there we go. So you just let yourself Ow. out at any time, and uh, you know, careful for the P step. And uh, if you want, if you want to go ahead and lop off like something you don't really need, like a foot, uh, maybe half of a hand or something like that. You know, not the mm-hmm, thumb, mm-hmm. but the other uh, couple finger, the back couple fingers. You know, we'll fashion yep. it into something nice right. uh, for the next guest. You know, some I, I guess some spare duodenum. I could, I could do without. Oh, yeah, carbs yeah, out. yeah. Just a, mm-hmm. just something small. We can make a cat of nine tails out of or something. You know, hanging in the back. Yeah, you got That'd it. Be really, really cool. All right, guys, uh, that pretty much wraps up the episode. So if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's journey into the brig. <laughs> uh we we've had we've had a good time bringing you all the things that made growing up awesome and cheesy and 80s and machismo and all that good stuff if you like what you've heard please hit that little subscribe button and like us on facebook and twitter i have been your host my name is parasite steve aka steve and samson and it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here good night everybody